Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, point steel recurring. Ooh. And I'm Jade, back in green. I'm on the scene. I was pink too long and now it's green again. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a reference to your hair. It is a reference it? to my hair. Well, uh, well noticed. Um, it is indeed green again and uh all is well and we are back um it's been a slight delay uh we apologize we missed you but i i just made this gag to hamish uh but life finds a way i mean life <laughs> gets in the way um more so hamish being an incredibly busy and important person uh doing exciting world travels and me looking at social media with hardcore fomo <laughs> so important um no i've been i have been traveling around a lot uh and we usually record these on weekends and all my weekends have been booked up uh the less said about our futurama podcast the better (laughs) (laughs) at least this one at least this one uh you know comes out at least once a month um but now that things have settled a little bit i think we'll be back on to our new normal Back on our bullshit, as the phrase goes, on uh, hopefully both things. Yes. Um, So, how have you been? Um, Doing okay. Uh, For the sake of um, too much information, people can feel free to skip uh, the next 30 seconds to a minute if they really have no interest in hearing about these things. There are a series of circumstances um, that I won't go too into detail because of the logistics of getting contraception on the NHS. I'm having to take hormone-based contraception again for the first time in... A while. Wow. And um, I think it's starting to kick in mood-wise, which I could really live without. Mm. However, it is currently a necessary evil, Um, which is shitty, but better than an unexpected and unwanted pregnancy. So, you know, I'll take what I can get. But um, that aside, generally things are good. Um, I feel like I've barely been doing anything except working, which sucks, and playing tabletop games, which definitely does not suck, Mm. even though my characters continue to be having hard times, (laughs) though perhaps things aren't quite as dire as the last time I uh, had a little rant about it. Um, What about you? Um, With seasoned world traveler that you are (laughs) aside from um the things that we're going to get into more detail about are you generally doing okay yeah i mean in a way i feel very similar i've not been doing anything but working i mean my work has been really fun at the moment um i have been basically touring uh dead endia the watcher's test book that um did come out earlier in the year in the summer for the uk uh but just came out in america um, but it's not given me a huge amount of time to consume media or, you know, gather up a bank of things to talk about um, on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I just this morning started playing a game I talked about on this podcast about 10 episodes ago, <laughs> um, which, like all games, I kind of open up the final boss and I'm ready to fight the final boss, and then I don't for eight months. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want the game to end. 
and then when I come back, all the emotional build-up has been completely destroyed. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I've just been... I'm looking forward to... Well, it's a bank holiday in the UK at the moment. Yep. So I'm looking forward just to kind of relaxing, catching up with Justin, mm-hmm. um, as well as TV and films and whatnot. Yes. So let, let's dive into the few things that we have managed to do, slash see, slash engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, I will start us off. Um, I... Uh, as we've mentioned a number of times on the show, uh, YouTuber Lindsay Ellis, uh, we're both uh, fans of her work, her style. I watched a Q&A video she did and mm. she referenced um, another YouTuber who, the, her surname I can't remember, but Natalie, her YouTube, her YouTube is ContraPoints and it's all very sort of scary. I don't want to say scathing, like these really interesting video essays with a very heightened style. I think you would love them because the way Natalie uses lighting reminds me of like some of the films I know that you like. Like it's all (laughs) super saturated light and very interesting color choices. And but she uh, she's a trans woman and I just watched her video on turfs earlier today. I watched uh, she not long released a video on incels and what that just... Um, which I actually, after watching that myself, I saw like Grant Howitt uh, retweet or tweet about it. And I've seen, it's one of the, we've talked about this before, the whole once you've you've become aware of a thing, you start seeing it more. Oh, right, yeah. And I've definitely had a couple of instances of that. But um, this is a very smart woman who is making these very funny, very interesting. They're very stylistic and I definitely think they're not for everybody but also she's not trying to make things for everybody her one on um how to spot alt-right people and how to avoid them and to identify their methodology and their symbology and things like that was super interesting and informative and i learned i've i've watched like three of her video essays and i already feel like i've learned so much so i i really do recommend checking her out like She's one, uh, like many a YouTuber, she's, she's said publicly, just like the earlier videos aren't as good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, her one about Jordan Peterson was very funny. So. I, uh, I've i been meaning to do this one YouTube video essay for a very long time. I, I love YouTube video essays. And there's one I really want to do. And I'm literally planning it for like, I think it will take a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so people who regularly upload them, I think sometimes there's a, a disparaging feeling of people whose like career is their YouTube channel. Mm. But the second you actually do try and do one, let alone one or two a week, or, you know, it it's very, very clear how much work goes into them. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where I think the phrase YouTuber can cover such a vast, terrifying mm. array of content. But like, as um, we've talked about movies with Mikey, um, which is fantastic. Uh, he recently released a video talking about um, how bad his depression got when he was sort of working through his um, severe uh, flare-up of MS and his diagnosis. And it was like super personal and engaging. But again, what you're saying is the amount of work that clearly goes into videos. And so, uh, some of these people don't work alone. They have, they have teams. But yeah. there's... Sh- the sheer quality of content and the effort that goes into them, I have a lot of respect 
for the ones I like and whose viewpoints I share, there's certain parts of YouTube I am going to go nowhere near. Sometimes it's really frustrating on YouTube because it recommends you videos that are on the same topic, but from a very different point of view. And I know that sounds a little bit echo chambery, but like whenever, whenever I have watched a single, um, you know, Anita Sarkeesian video of feminist frequency, then for the next week, my recommendations are like, why she's awful, why she's ruining the world, why she's Mm. blah, 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 blah. And it's just, yeah. Love those Um, YouTube algorithms at work, (laughs) yo. I mean, that's something um, in the Lindsay Ellis uh, Q&A video, which I also watched, she mentioned how uh, she does have a team, she has editors and everything. And while uh, a lot of people assume she does everything and that can maybe hurt their feelings, she also gets all of the brunt of the backlash for anything she does. Yeah. And over time, her editors have appreciated their sort of slightly anonymous kind of... <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, went to... So before I went to America, I went to Edinburgh um, to uh, do a talk at the Edinburgh Book Festival. Um, I went into an author's yurt... Uh, where I got to meet Adrian Edmondson and Julian Clary which was very exciting but very awkward and very like I was there to be a fellow author and be serious and walk around and not sort of uh, fanboy fanboy, especially over Adrian Edmondson just because Bottom is a huge (laughs) kind of influence on my comedy Mm -hmm. um but we didn't get any time to really see much of the fringe, mm. um, except for a show called Briefs, mm-hmm. um, which is an all male, all queer uh, cabaret um, b- burlesque drag show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's very. It was very, very incredible. I mean, it it all was very of the moment very much about uh the the theme of this show was um about the future and sci-fi but more about like we have to make a utopia together mm-hmm. we have to sort of uh fight uh what's happening in the world right now um told through uh scantily clad men dancing around the place <laughs> Um, nice. But done, done in a very like beautiful, very uh, you know, obviously very very talented way. There was sort of trapeze stuff and uh, really like amazing gymnastics, all to amazing songs, mixture of very emotional stuff and very funny stuff. Um, my favorite moment was completely uh, separated from all the political aspects of the show, which was. Um, a dance love story between a woman and her anthropomorphic lamp. <laughs> um, she She's just sort of like, so it's a man in drag, but he was on stage um, looking at her glowing lamp in the corner, like a proper um, floor lamp, you know. Mm, yeah. And then it kind of was gl- glowing in and out, and then it glowed back, and it was this, like, muscular man with a lampshade on, <laughs> like, covering his head. <laughs> And then they sort of, like, dance together and the glow of him. And it was, like, weirdly emotional. And also you had to take a step back occasionally and just go, like, what the fuck am I watching? I paid to see this. God, I love theatre. But, yeah, it was very, very good and very funny. And they do lots of tours and they're all, all of them are funny and political on social media and stuff. Um, So 
I I know other friends that have gone to see them, and I went on their recommendation, and it was very good. Oh, well, have to if they uh, end up down this neck of the woods, we'll have to try and get. Uh, I'll have yeah. to try and get to that. Um, along the vein of performance and songs and dancing, uh, I have <laughs> finally started watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, I am all of three episodes in, and I'm already very in love with this very smart, very funny, very odd in places show, which is clearly coming from a very interesting place. But um, I love me a musical. Mm. But the thing, what's fun about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is the, the things that songs are about. Like there was the uh, the sexy getting ready song in, I think it was episode two. Just like all the shit women do to get ready when they go out on dates. And um, it's amusing. Like it's really interesting, the interaction with the fourth wall on mm. on the show. Like there's this sort of a, a rap artist that's doing like a breakdown in as part of that song and stops like whoa wait you girls do this like oh my god i i need to apologize to some bitches and at the end of the episode over the credits you see him calling all these women that were in his music videos like apologizing for the <laughs> stuff he had them do for the music videos and i'm watching it going huh <laughs> and uh, in, in in the episode i just watched there's a scene between uh two straight guys and they're talking about women and not a very like oh yeah well i'll do this and then when she's sad you could just like swoop in and pick her up and they're like laughing <laughs> and it goes silent for someone goes men are disgusting and because I, I, at this point i felt my my mood souring steadily as that conversation came on and then that line was said and then i just like lost it because just like oh okay this show knows exactly what it's doing i'm i'm looking forward to, to seeing how it goes on and things like that because it's um obviously relies on a lot of tropes um, and the whole notion of the crazy ex-girlfriend is is very much uh, a misogynistic sort of stereotype but also this is the show that gave us the song Getting By. Yeah that's so, the one I've seen. Yeah I haven't seen the episode I've only <laughs> seen the song so uh, but I'm looking forward to sort of getting to that point because there's so much good stuff said about the show so it's nice to sort of finally get into it and see what people have been talking about and starting to understand just why people love it the way that they do which is which is nice yeah i've seen some uh fans uh bemoan some of the most recent episodes but uh, that's all part of long-running sitcoms not that this is very long running um and i've always felt surprised when people talk about it because it sound it does sound amazing and I do want to watch it one day. Um but it's not the show that the title sounds like it is. Yeah. Like that title does really put me off. But yeah, I think it put me the off whole, for a really long time. But I think um it sounds much more like a deconstruction at all. Mm-hmm. Um that's exciting. Yeah. I have seen I've seen the songs I've seen a lot of the songs out of context. Yeah. So Getting by is iconic. <laughs> yep. Um, I went to see a film last night because I couldn't see another film. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to watch Incredibles 2 because I thought we could talk about it. Oh no. But, uh, it wasn't showing. Um, so I went to see Ant-Man and La Wasp. La Wasp. Um, and Anthony and the Waspsons. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a film... You know, <laughs> the reason I I wasn't going to put it on the list of things to talk about, but um, 
I found it interesting because I f- there there's a pathetically like uh, I'm not it's not a, it's not an exclusively gay moment at all. Okay. Um, it is very much a joke that can be read in lots of different ways, and I'm like weirdly this is how low the bar is i'm really impressed disney didn't like promote how queer this movie is (laughs) just because like at one moment a fbi agent played by randall park from uh fresh off the boat i know him as asian jim from (laughs) the office Mm -hmm. um thinks that ant-man's asking him out for dinner and he goes like oh do you want to go for dinner and like it's nothing, but mm. I'm actually impressed by Disney's restraint sure. at not describing that like FBI character as like the MCU's first openly gay character. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's like some other moments where like I was enjoying something, mm. and then there was like a brief moment of sort of no homoing it. Mm. Um, and like it's a kind of odd film in like I really really feel like it had some massive redrafts very late in the game, mm. um, like s- some very famous actors are playing very small, slightly inconsequential roles. Okay, and not in a cameo sense. In a like, either this film's very confident it's getting a third one, or it felt a little bit like I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying not to be spoilery. Basically, in in some ways, it felt like there wasn't a third act. Oh, right. And in some ways, that's kind of neat because it feels very small scale. And this film, I felt, was very aware it was coming off of Infinity Wars, Infinity War. So yeah. it's very, like, very small stakes. Uh, very, like, the world's not really in jeopardy. It's more or less... Um, I mean, it's it's first things in the film so it's more or less like the wasp and hank pym want to try and rescue uh janet from the realm she's trapped in that was kind Mm -hmm. of alluded to in the first one yeah and uh scott lang paul rudd ant-man whatever just wants to um stay at home because he's got like two days left of his uh like um imprisonment what's it was at home imprisonment yeah. What's yeah, it called? Yeah. I can't. Home arrest. Home arrest. And he's like, I don't want to get into trouble. And like, that's the stakes. Yeah. It's like, he doesn't want to go to jail for some years and they want to rescue their mum. And that's kind of it. And like, I really like that element. But at the same time, you're so used, I mean, I'm so used to these Marvel films. I was like, okay. And so when is the giant portal going to open up and they're all going to die? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was just like, watch the film and I was kind of over. And I was like, oh, okay. I think I was just annoyed because I want to see Incredibles 2. Um, which I will talk about briefly and not in too much detail because you didn't get to see it yet and I don't want to rub it in your face. <laughs> um, I only saw it a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go to, I didn't, I wound up not going to Nine Worlds this year uh, for financial reasons. Um, so I found myself with some free time. Um, and my partner and I were off work at the same time, which is rare. So we watched Incredibles at home on DVD, had lunch, walked down to the cinema and watched Incredibles 2, <laughs> had a meal and then came back. And it picks up directly after the first one. And it was, so I'm glad that we chose to watch it in the morning. Mm. 
I really enjoyed it. I don't think the story was quite as tight as the first movie, but the animation was fantastic. Brad Bird remains such a fun director to watch the work of. Um, and the people he works with create really cool films to watch. Um, I don't think they topped the scene in the first Incredibles movie where the missiles are coming at the plane, which gives mm. me chills every time I watch it. But I, I really love the film. There is a, a character in there that is not me, but I can understand <laughs> why people think there might be some confusion, uh, called Void. Um She's rad. Her powers are basically the portal gun. Mm -hmm. um, she's cool. Uh, she's got like a side of her head shaved and she's sweet and kind of awkward. So my jam as a person. And the, it was, mm -hmm. I keep going. I just, and it was cool to have the focus be on uh, Helen. And it's more about her journey, though. Bob's antics with the kids was uh, was really fun to see as well. And it's interesting because he's sort of coming at it from a little bit of a selfish perspective at first. But I like the thing about one of the strengths about the first Incredibles movie is how much you believe in this family and how much they love each other and how invested you are in their relationship as a group. And so the second movie was able to make good on that faith in those relationships and continue to make them a family that you care about, which is great. Yeah, I um, we also watched the first one because Justin hadn't seen it, which is oh. surprising. Um, and it feels very old now, hmm. and I don't mean that necessarily in a in a bad way. It's not dated uh, in a story sense completely. Like I'm not criticizing for that, but like you don't realize how far Pixar's animation has come along sometimes. Yeah. So I think The Incredibles was their first film. Uh, about humans really yeah like and while the main group look fine there's like a few <laughs> there's a few like background characters or like one scene characters who definitely yeah. feel like they need a few more hours in the rendering room <laughs> yeah um and like I, I remember thinking that the city at the end of the first one felt very empty um and so i i was also interested to see like both very close proximity also all the lesbians on my twitter timeline are doing fan art about a very what i believe to be a very minor character or element of the film mm -hmm. and i'm seeing a lot of fan art of helen with another woman who isn't void mm. uh in like I sad carol-esque like <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I know the character because uh, that character showed up on screen and after 30 seconds I led over to G and was like, I'm getting like hella lesbian vibe. <laughs> I mean, this is just me calling out uh, Tiffany, my co-host of the um, <laughs> Poltercast, who has done a lot of fan art recently of uh, Helen and an unnamed woman that I don't know because I haven't seen the film yet. Yeah. Um. I also, I, something I really like about the Incredibles film is that the films is um, Elastigirl's power, which obviously sort of inspired by Mr. Fantastic or the Fantastic Four. Whenever Fantastic Four films are adapted, it always looks very creepy and uncomfortable. And it's always realized kind of poorly. And I really, I think animation is the best way to represent mm. her power and 
she uses it in really funny ways and yeah, it's definitely one of the most creative uses i've ever seen sort of like elasticity mm. and it, this feels like an odd word to apply to something that feels like it's a very inorganic substance but it always feels very organic the way helen uses her power yeah like, that that power doesn't really work unless you believe in the weight of everything Mm-hmm. There's that scene in the first one where she's like trapped between four doors. Yes. And I don't think like that's like a really funny set piece on the same way. It reminds me a lot of like uh the X-Men films with Quicksilver when they suddenly realize, oh, we have a technology to do like a really inventive thing with that power. Yeah. Um so yeah, I'll get to see it eventually, I promise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's been like one of the worst things about traveling. It's not one of the worst things, but just like I just have missed quite a few films I promised I'd see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ah. Ah, I want to have, before we talk, uh, I feel like I want to get on to sort of the stuff that you've been up to and in, in exciting announcements. But another announcement that I personally was very excited <laughs> to hear about. To quote Cabin in the Woods, the evil is destroyed. <laughs> the Big Bang Theory is getting cancelled. I'm so happy about it. I'm so- Jim Parsons has been released. He's going to be allowed to go do other things. Yeah. I read. I, I mean, I read a Guardian article and it's like about Jim Parsons and just like to and be able to look like the 45 year old man he is. And I'm like, Jim Parsons is 45. What the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. So the um the 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 sad the the tin lining of this happy mm. cloud. Yes. Um, is this will not mean it's not it's off our screens and Big Bang Theory will continue to air for years and years and years to come and reruns if any other cancelled show has anything to say about. This is true. But at least we are now in the knowledge that uh, <laughs> they'll never I don't know, do an episode where something new we love is um, flippantly added because it's funny because it's geeks. Yeah. We've done an episode where we talk about why we don't like this show. Yeah, um, I will suggest. I don't know if we've mentioned this before in our ranting about the Big Bang Theory. Um, I know I've mentioned the pop culture detective agency before. Uh, they have a, a couple of videos about the way masculinity is portrayed in the Big Bang Theory and how dangerous it is because so often, like people don't tend to think about toxic masculine or don't seem to talk about toxic masculinity with regards to geek culture mm. and um especially with uh, the rise of sort of like or rising prominent discussions about incels and uh people like that i think it's a really interesting way to look at how it perpetuates certain behaviors as funny and things like that when they really shouldn't be so those are some good essays to check out because it's not just that the big bang theory isn't very good yeah. It's that it does perpetuate harmful shit. So, yeah. I agree. Let's talk about something exciting and good. So, yeah, in the um, second half of this episode, we're going to talk a bit about conventions because you mentioned Nine Worlds. I also didn't go um, this year, but it apparently was somewhat eventful um, and a good show generally, but the future of Nine Worlds seems a little uncertain um, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and this weekend I went to FlameCon, which um, is a very queer-focused uh, c- 
convention in New York. Um, and both of them are quite similar in, in their objective of what they want to achieve. But having been to both, I feel their, the vibe was so different at both of them. Uh-huh. Um, and this isn't me like saying one's better than the other. I think both have things they could learn from the other. So we'll talk about that a little bit in the second half. But yes, that's where I went this weekend. Um, as part of the book tour, it was really fun. I got to sell my book to lots of people. And I got to meet lots of Twitter art friends and pick up lots of enamel pin badges. <laughs> um, and I also got to be on a panel uh, called the Big Gay Animational Hour. Um, nice. And... On the panel was also Noelle Stevenson, uh, Ginger Hayes, some people from Twi- uh, Tumblr might know as that, um, the showrunner of Netflix's She-Ra series. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, she wasn't able to show anything new other than the pictures, but we did talk about the backlash to that. Um, she, uh, we, we discussed how um, the backlash was as so tiny and i know the like the term like loud noisy minority is that what i'm talking about vocal minority vocal minority yeah um but i think there is something to be said in the fact that it's so such a small amount of people but we like to kind of retweet them with our angry takes on it and like make it seem bigger than it actually is yeah um, and Noelle was saying that like she was told a lot about the backlash, but she saw very little of it. Yeah. Um, and people were sharing times when the backlash was actually very personal about her. Um, and I did see that happen where a, a post with a picture of her and talking about her actual personal life was going around and people were sort of retweeting it with their anger. And I just felt, don't, just Why? No. mute it. <laughs> um but it was really fun and i got permission about half a day before the panel to talk about one of my secret projects that i've been working on and i got to actually show a teaser of it um so this hasn't been like actually announced announced um it's more like i don't have to be secret about it anymore Mm -hmm. but i think further down the line will be like a proper announcement with like logos and artwork online and you know stuff like that but i am the director of a show called dorothy gale and the wonderful wizard of oz the show is actually called dorothy gale and the the idea is in the future the series each season will be called something else because they're kind of 12 episode event series kind of things Uh um and our goal is to adapt the books fairly faithfully um, there's a lot of Oz projects, but a lot of them use the Judy Garland film as like a um, as their source material. So we're trying to imagine that they've never been adapted, and not trying to use um, like pop culture osmosis mm. at all. So yeah. when we read the books, we adapt the text. So our Wicked Witch isn't green because she's never meant to be. Mi- never mentioned to be green mm-hmm. the, the shoes are silver we add in lots of um characters and stories that have never really been adapted before because they're all from the books and i'm very excited because <laughs> the oz books are like a really nerdy um like interest of mine that i'm a bit obsessive about and i've been working on this for about four years in a very slow uh way 
but um, it was so nice to finally actually just talk about it. And what was the reaction like? So I said that we're going to show a clip from a show I've been working on, and it's an adaptation of a famous book, and that's all I said before the trailer started and so the trailer starts with you see um two like silver shoes mm-hmm. walk on a yellow brick road but i don't think people have connected it yet yeah and then it kind of pans up and you see dorothy and then it zooms out and you see her with the scarecrow tin man and the lion and then when that happened there was this just like gasp of excitement mm-hmm. like it was a really busy like everyone was there to see noel i was there to see noel <laughs> uh but there was like a gasp of like just excitement and I got lots of questions about it afterwards and lots of people came to my table to ask more questions about it and there's not much to say like I've been working on it for four years but that's four years of mostly emails like we're not even really in um like pre-production yet (laughs) yeah um but it was just really cool and like the thing I wanted to uh say about it was the books have a lot of feminist and queer subtext sometimes text but mostly subtext um they're from 1900 and so their points of reference for all that stuff's very different to ours but that's the kind of stuff that i really wanted to focus on um i've talked before about how like ozma who's an incredibly significant character in the books but not really in any of the films other than return to Oz. Mm-hmm. um in the books she is arguably a trans girl um she was raised as a boy and then transforms into a girl and there's this passage of her saying i really hope people don't treat me differently um and i think the scarecrow just says uh we'll treat you the same but you i I don't know what he says he he basically says you are the same you're just different um and like I don't know. That was written in 1901 and you can't really adapt. I think nowadays you either don't adapt that or you adapt it and you really lean into what that's really saying. (laughs) Um, And it's just like one of our writers, because the Ozma starts that book as a boy called Tip. And when one of our writers heard that there was another human in the book and it was a boy, he was like, Ooh, can Dorothy like, can that be a love story for Dorothy? And I was like, you know what? It can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knowing full well. <laughs> Usually I would have said, eh, no, but yeah. Um, yes, so that's what I've been working on. That is rad. I am so Thank glad you. that you're like, allowed to tell people about it now. Oh. I think we should have a quick yeah. tea break and then we should start talking about conventions. Yeah. Okay, I'll get the curl on. It's the middle section of the show. You've made it. We've made it. The uh, When was the last time you saw a film that had an interval? Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a film with an interval. Because I know some places do it now. Or like... I've oh, No, I've been to like a, a, a movie marathon at the Prince Charles. Uh, where oh, obviously yeah. they have breaks between the movies. But that's not really the same thing. No, we had an interval during Lord of the Rings when it first came out, but I think films have just got longer, so they just don't do them anymore. People are used to it. Yeah. Like, Lord of the Rings doesn't even seem that long nowadays, but it was at the time. (laughs) 
Um, so yeah, welcome to our interval. You can get little um, overpriced uh, ice cream pots mm-hmm. and uh, run to the toilet before the huge queue gets there. Um, or you could have some tea from our sponsor. <laughs> I was I was about to say something incredibly similar. Uh, fandom and fantasy, luxury hand blended loose tea and tea related geeky paraphernalia. You've probably oh. heard of them by now if you're a regular listener. If not, let me tell you about Beastly Beverages. The business is queer owned. All ingredients are organic and fairly traded. Almost all the products are suitable for vegans. Uh, we love them. I don't really like tea, and I love them. So <laughs> if that's uh a sign then i hope it's a good one um you can check them out at beastlybeverages.com they also have a patreon a facebook a tumblr a twitter and an instagram it's uh you really can find them everywhere and the one thing i will warn you about is uh you might get really used to this good quality tea and never go back to tea bags which you know <laughs> i can think of worse things in life but uh be prepared to sort of fall in love with this stuff it's uh, it's very good um and if you want to try it for yourself uh we have a sponsor code that you can use uh if you use this code problematic so that's as it's said p-r-o wait yep no that is how i can read p-r-o-b-l-e-m-a-t-i-c you can get 10 percent off your order and what's great about bc beverages is they ship worldwide once again that's problematic um, and yeah, we said tea-related geeky paraphernalia. They do have prints and stickers and tea strainers and uh, is it called washi tape? Washi tape? I don't know. There's all kinds of things. So even if you are a tea phobic, um, definitely check them out. Uh, also, if you want some more podcasts in your life, uh, we can tell you about a couple. Uh, Dungeons and Queers is an all-trans, all-queer actual play an actual play D&D 5th edition podcast you can find it on iTunes Google Play nearly other podcasting apps I found it through Podcast Republic I'm sure you can find it on Stitcher and all those places these players are focused on diverse characterization and good representation their focus is on diverse genders orientations races and disability and like reflecting in that is the fact that it's a deaf accessible podcast Uh, they have their transcripts available and uh, really yeah they're I'm not sure what arc they're on now, but they're playing along nicely and it's a really good time for you to catch on. If you like things like The Adventure Zone, but you wish it was a little bit queerer, this is the podcast for you. Download it and make sure you don't miss out on Undead Hordes, High Adventure and Larry the Cable God. (laughs) We also would like to uh, direct your attention. If you enjoyed our polyamorous episode, then you should definitely check out Polyam Radio. It's a show all about relationships, love, and polyamory. It's about queer love, that creepy uppy kind of love, that kind of love that enriches our lives and makes us do stupid things. It's about relationships that work and habits that don't, and things we wish we didn't do to our partners. Uh, didn't do, or our partners did. <laughs> didn't do to our partners. Slip and a half. <laughs> it's about trans queers and our experiences and analyzing our mistakes and telling you how to not make them. It's available on iTunes and all other pl- uh, platforms. And I, we talked in the episode about how I don't necessarily consider myself polyam, but I'm surrounded by polyam friends. And I definitely know that it, for all the good it brings, there's a lot of needing to discuss the issues <laughs> yeah. i mean for starters you have to keep track of what 
puns you've used with which partner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, I think that's it for the middle section. So let's finish up our beverages, beastly or non, as the case may be, and uh, get back to talking about stuff. That, that's how it goes, right? It's <laughs> so let's talk about conventions. Yeah, so I just felt that after two happening quite recently with a very, very much they want to be the conventions for the queer community. Um, and I have always, I, I love Nine Worlds very much. I've gone every year that I can. We did our live episode there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like any event, you often think about how you can improve it. Um, and Nine Worlds does a um, a panel called The Future of Nine Worlds every year where they talk about how to improve it. Um, it sometimes devolves a little into just a uh, complaints box. Um, and the one this year was somewhat eventful. It started, We neither of us went, so this is all from reading about it, but it, it did start with an announcement of... Um, the organization team changing for next year. Um, and so the, that did lead the tone of the whole future of nine worlds into a slightly odd space because any suggestion was being made to people who might not be working there next year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the only panel that isn't moderated. And I think this leads to people feeling like they can't make a point about it seeming like a personal attack. Yeah. Um, I went one year when I was tabling as a, um, a vendor and it had been a big mess up. And so a lot of vendors went to the talk to sort of ask about what the... Because someone from Nine Worlds came around to all of us to ask if we would be there next year. And we were like, well, no, but unless you make all these changes. So we went to like ask about the changes and whatnot. Mm. But it's tense, and that this is something, a theme I kind of wanted to talk about. I feel Nine Worlds sometimes feels a little tense. Mm. I don't know if you agree, or that's just me. Um, no, I would agree. Um, part of that is my own autism, uh, mm. which make, but also with part of, part of my autism is empathy. Um, some people have really struggled with it. Some people have lots of out of it. Uh, I'm of the latter category, so I tend to pick up a lot on what's going on. And some of this is my own feeling. Some of this is the stuff that I've been reading from uh, former congoers, uh, people who have been around Nine Worlds. Um, it has its issues. Um, we, you and I have talked about this um, with regards to the issue of safe space. Yeah, and how when a place that advertises itself, builds itself, strives to be at its best a a safe, diverse space where people can come together to share their interests, when you are betrayed by that space, you it feels worse because you felt like it was a space where you could let your guard down. Yeah, and so your armor was off, and so it it gets to the quick of you. And um, I'm aware of speaking of this as a white person and Hamish and I talk a lot about trying to stay in our lane, but there are some things that where by staying in our, li- in our lane, we become complicit 
and we don't want to be those people. Um, Nine Worlds has a problem with race. It's a very white convention in a lot of ways, and I don't think this is a unique to Nine Worlds phenomena. Mm. I will, will say that. However, uh, and it's gotten worse. And having read uh, a, a post from uh, one of the volunteer team who's been part of Nine Worlds since the beginning, um, she talks about having made suggestions that have gone ignored. And that sort of came to a head at this year's Future of Nine Worlds panel. Uh, some people I know, I don't know whether I'd be able to call them friends as much as I would like to. They're people I know and respect and have worked with a little. Had a very unpleasant, upsetting, uh, in one case, triggering experience there. And while there has been public apologies made, it has soured, and rightly so, people's experience of not just the convention but of the organization behind it and while i have hope for the organizers going forward with the new people coming in i know a couple of people who are stepping forward who want to do better at the mm. same time this damage has been done and it is going to take a lot of work to rectify that because the fact of the matter is they fucked up in a big way yeah, I I feel that tension I was mentioning comes from the fact that Nine Worlds is its declaration is to be as good as possible. Mm. It's really like you don't expect anything from something like MCM Comic London Comic Con. Um but like you say, people don't attend there with the expectation that it's a safe space. They go there with a kind of mental preparation for the onslaught that it is um Excuse I'd say me, i need to shut my window as it just started raining really hard outside <laughs> and i do not want that to come up on the recording uh please carry on it's a uh, dramatic um this this topic is more depressing so we uh the director has decided that it's going to be all rainy from now on um yeah i i would say my the big shift in well not shift the, the big difference between the vibe of flamecon and nine worlds was that F flamecon felt uh it felt loud and proud whereas nine worlds felt feels um quiet and safe yes. or like so flamecon it's also an lgbt convention and i was kind of expecting something like nine worlds but it had like music pumping constantly and people were in like rainbow outfits the whole time and most of the panels weren't like let's analyze how shitty media is like nine worlds sometimes feels like i'd sometimes accidentally plan like five panels in a row which all just make me incredibly depressed yeah. um flamecon was much more about like geeking out but at the same time even though i do think the actual venue was very accessible and they did a lot of things to help uh people who don't really like attending conventions it's not like nine worlds where you feel constantly the reminders to like watch not just like how you're speaking but like when i did panels in the past there was lots of information about 
ways to make a panel really accessible in ways that aren't necessarily about, you know, ramps and things, which should be standard, more mm. about displays that you're showing or the way you're talking and things like that. Um, I feel Nine Worlds has failed in regards to its handling of race, mm. but I think it has done very good things for disabled um, people visiting. Mm. Yeah, the, um, the the work of the Nine Worlds Access team and what they strive to do is commendable. Um, the communication system, I, uh, I've seen at other conventions come to use it later um, with regards to people, um, how comfortable they are approaching strangers and things like that. Uh, I feel it's a godsend, a different kind of lanyard for people that aren't comfortable with having their photographs taken. Steps like that, like Nine Worlds has done so much good thing, so so much in the way of good things. Um, I'm not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater with, with these criticisms that we're discussing here that other people have spoken about uh, in greater depth. Um, if you want to know more about it, um, blackfemgeekery.wordpress.com. Uh, Helen, who I've mentioned before, has talked about her experiences. Uh, Jesse, who is at Panic Real on Medium.com, uh, they've spoken about their experiences too. Uh, by all means, uh, go check them out. I don't want to. We can always maybe drop some of these articles into our episode description, or we'll make them available on Twitter if people want them. Uh, let us know, and we'll put them across to you. The fact of the matter is, place that conventions that want to be good places, want to be accessible places, want to be say safe spaces places that celebrate who we are as people and part of nine worlds ethos is that is about celebrating diversity and where we fall down is if you fail one of the groups that you're trying to be there for you you fucked up and um i know there was a real issue with the presence of uh police officers in their capacity as police officers uh with regards to a panel um a couple of different panels and it's just like, that's not just people of colour having issues with that, though obviously the problems and the discrimination faced by people of colour is significantly so. But like the LGBT community has its own history of severe issues with the police force. Uh, Hamish has talked very passionately about it. <laughs> um, well, yeah, it, it's be at this Future of Nine Worlds panel, it was said that we want it to be a safe space for everyone, like police included. And it's that kind of thing where Flame... I'm not trying to say FlameCon was better because I'm trying to really emphasise the fact that FlameCon was wild and would not turn someone who hated conventions onto conventions. Mm. It was in the middle of Times Square in a hotel where it was packed and there was a playlist playing. Mm. And I was having a fun time, but I can cope with that fairly yeah. okay. And I think Nine Worlds... In a, in a sense, it, it fails more often because it's trying to do much more with such a limited yes. like budget and resources. It's trying to be a convention that's welcome and safe for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think at some point, I've been talking a lot with my um, Monster Hearts group about how a few of them don't like going to Nine, uh, Nine Worlds. And it's not an issue of Nine Worlds, it's just that it's still ultimately a convention. Yeah. And I think sometimes Nine Worlds does need to know when who it should be a safe space for and who it's for mm. rather than being for everybody. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people feel not represented by it. Yes. 
um, that's not me saying that it should, it should be for white people. It's me saying that they should really be prioritizing the marginalized group that need a convention like Nine Worlds. Yes. Like the police don't need this extra space to feel welcome at. Mm-hmm. Like they can barge in wherever they want. Yeah. Um, and like similarly, like Nine Worlds, it did used to be in the middle of nowhere. Now it's still, it's still in London, but it's uh, in one of the slightly outer zones in a hotel, slightly off. Uh, it, it does feel quiet in a way. Hmm. Um, FlameCon sometimes felt like I did have to go to my. Luckily, I was staying in the same hotel room, but if there wasn't, I'm not sure where there's room to escape to because I think they did have some like quiet rooms. But they were also packed. <laughs> yeah. So um, Nine Worlds tries so much, and that's why that when we criticize it, it doesn't. It does feel slightly mean because the people organizing it are very much people like us, and yeah. potentially us. I mean, we've both contributed before, but yeah, very much so. But- um, yeah, I I feel, and this is something a comment I saw on Twitter, which set off its own little cascade of as it always does Uh, this isn't about attacking this is about like raising genuine criticism with the hope that of people doing better yeah and i i feel that we should always as people strive to be better especially when we're trying to create us as content creators in our small way and people that are trying to provide a place like yeah, I'm just circling around the same points now. Well, Nine Worlds started as a Kickstarter mm. and people contributed because they wanted to see this happen. Yeah. And since it's launched, I haven't noticed it kickstarting any of its like uh, other events. Mm. And something that's been very clear, if you peer behind the curtain at all, if you do any kind of contributing to it, is that they are kind of running on fumes a little bit. Yeah, that is um, part of where the organisation with the stepping down, uh, the original organiser, uh, Dan, uh, Dan Whitston, uh, has been running at, a, it's been running at a deficit. And the reason yeah. why it had, the format hadn't changed was because he didn't want to take people's money and then not be able to deliver a convention, which is yeah. why this shift is happening now. Um, FlameCon is run by a, a big, um, Non, when I say big, it's a non-profit organization called uh, Geek Out um, about queer geeks. Uh-huh. Um, and FlameCon is something they run. And it's it feels much more like you can donate to this organization that does lots of things all year round. Mm-hmm. And that FlameCon is kind of the big celebration of all of that. Uh-huh. And I know that Nine Worlds is seeking to become like a proper non-profit like, business. Yes. Um, and do similar things and I just so I, FlameCon has become this huge big thing and I really think Nine Worlds or someone organising Nine Worlds should really check it out and see how they're doing it because there's a lot to w- learn from each other I think yeah and I they are different like I said I I think FlameCon felt like it was working more just because they had decided what con- kind of convention they're going to be yeah um, I can absolutely understand why it's not for everybody Again, I'm circling the same sort of plot points, but <laughs> we wanted to talk about it because we wanted to try and work out what we think a like dream convention would be. Because obviously, we both like going to them, mm. um, and I think every time we have a, a sort of a mix of experiences, usually I'm feeling as good as the last panel I saw was. Mm. Um, 
And so we reached out to ask our followers what kind of uh, conventions they like to see or what they'd like to see from a convention because it's kind of an aspect of geekdom we take for granted, but actually a lot of people don't go to them. Mm-hmm. So wondering what would be changed in order to make people welcome is interesting. Yeah. Um, Matthew on our Facebook group um, shared with us... Um, about having never gone to a convention except for an academic-styled conference, uh, suggested the notion of social refueling stations, which is a great way to phrase it. Um, spaces to relax quietly between talks and stalls. Uh, you mentioned that FlameCon had its quiet rooms packed as they were. I had some friends attending FlameCon. Um, I did tell them to go see you. I don't know if they showed up. <laughs> um, but yeah. They were being used. Uh, one of the it's a strength of nine worlds too, having those quiet spaces where people can go and decompress. I so as someone who doesn't need those spaces in my in, it's hard to think. I think I don't need them because I don't. Uh, I don't feel like, mm-hmm. but like maybe I do. I I I don't feel like I'm. I should go in those because I feel my space should be used for someone who really really needs it. Yeah, and I remember in the first couple of Nine Worlds I went to, for whatever reason, there was just really like nothing to do between panels, and if you'd missed the time all the panels were starting, you kind of just had to wait around for an hour. Yeah, um, and that was fine, <laughs> but yeah. I think maybe there's there should be a difference between like a social refueling station mm-hmm. and a like proper quiet room, s- quiet room where it's like a social refueling station in a way to me sounds like a very casual like it's not forbidden to like say hello to people and yeah social refueling stations to me seems like maybe the music isn't as loud in there like there's no music being piped in but maybe like there's water like there's cool water yeah. coolers and like places to sit and it's a quiet vibe and maybe it said like try not to get too loud but and like there's places to charge phones and stuff like that whereas mm. a quiet room might offer like things for people who are like experiencing like sensory overload and things like that. Yeah, they exactly. would provide set different functions, both important. Yeah. So, um, Teo said, "I feel like my perfect con is basically nine worlds, but with more people of color involved and present, which is what we've been talking about." Um, because the vibe from that con is that they actually care about people's needs and uh, we're there for social fun rather than feeling like there's just an intense pressure to buy shit constantly. <laughs> we're looking at which you, is... MCM. Yeah. Um, though generally, I fe- it feels like most cons don't make the effort to actually appeal to people of colour or other marginalised folks, which kind of sucks. And I think that's true. I think some... Of... It wasn't... Obviously, I'm, I'm white, so I'm not... Uh, I obviously do have a different um, take on everything, but um, there did seem to be more people of colour and more people of colour organising FlameCon. Um, maybe that's more to do with New York. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's not like London isn't a diverse city. <laughs> yes. um, it's that telling people that they're welcome. And I, I something I have noticed Nine Worlds website does mm. is... Uh, it is quite a white convention, but they'll make sure. Oh yeah! Uh, oh yeah! They on will. their web on their website, they'll always post pictures from the diversity panels, <laughs> um, and people of color cosplayers and everything like that. And like, that's cool. It's also kind of like if you've been there, you know how much they've 
been selective. And I think that's, if that's all they're doing to try and encourage people of color to visit, I feel like there's a lot more you could be doing. I mean, I know they've partnered, is it, oh, I forget the name, uh, Bust, where they'll like comp tickets for Mm. people of color to, who might not be able to attend conventions otherwise with their tickets not being paid for, uh, if they would have to pay for tickets themselves. And I just, I, I, conventions are such a unique thing. Um, and when you say to people, oh, what do you think a convention is? It's just like, okay, well, it's vendors and it's a so it's social scene and it's panels. Like those seem to be the three elements. Oh, and depending on the size of the, of the convention, it's celebrity guests or author guests, like mm. where you can go get stuff signed and talk to them. And I think there are ways to sort of have those things all existing in the same place. But there comes a point where you have to wonder, do people need to be more specialized to give people the con experience that they want? And it's it's hard. I mean, my personal con experience, I don't know whether I could say what would be the perfect thing for me. Like, I think I would have had a rad time at FlameCon. I would love to have gone, like, when hearing about it. It sounds mm. great. But I also know the, the come down I have off conventions and how often when I'm at them over a weekend, I feel very sad and alone a lot of the time. And they yeah. can be very anxiety-provoking. And that's me. That's one person's experience of it. I'm sure it's not entirely unique. Um and there's someone that's deeply passionate about so many things. Like, spend more than half an hour in my presence and I'll talk about something I'm excited about in great detail, if you will let me. But it's 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 a hard thing to cater to because there's such a wealth of experiences and people and interests. And to try and create any kind of event to cater to a number of people is a staggering thing to me. Mm. I feel no. yeah no please well just like the fact that these exist I'm I'm kind of um, when you have any conversation with someone at Nine Worlds who's involved with the actual organizationing of it it's I feel so like in awe of them yeah. <laughs> that they managed to be able to do this mm-hmm. um, often volunteering um, and then have to be receive the brunt of all of the like criticisms about it yeah um, and very often all, you know, all the praise is just people saying how much they enjoyed it on Twitter, but like, obviously the criticisms is what will be rattling around their head for a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and like, that isn't to say to not criticize. It's just, it's, it's very tough. And mm. I think I want to go to a few more like really specific conventions. Yeah. Um, but I'm slightly worried about them. Like there's, like UK's first like kaiju convention later this year mm-hmm. um which I'm kind of following the Facebook group of and while that excites me for my kaiju fun love uh it's a fandom I've found very homophobic in the past and yeah. not entirely welcoming mm. um and it it's it's weighing up which you find more important do I follow for my interests or do I follow for a place I might feel more accepted yeah. and that's like an element in nine worlds we haven't really discussed is that it's not really just about geekery yeah. it's literally like a place 
where people can be themselves. Yes. That um, would definitely be one of its strengths. So, from my perspective, as you know, a largely able bodied white person, yeah, so it's I don't th- hard. I don't think we solved anything, nope. but <laughs> we talked about it a lot. I really do hope it um happens next year. I hope they do listen to criticisms, mm. um, but it's not going to be a over, it's not going to be a solution this isn't instantly, done. yeah, no, I'm. All- I, I'm currently in the position where I don't intend to go until okay. there's been some severe change. Even with the people I trust, the fact that people who I'm not even close to, like I, I, I don't have that privilege, um, to know how unsafe they were made to feel there. Mm. I'm just like, even if it was just this one particular bad experience, that's just like, that shouldn't have happened there. And... I'm going to stand with them yeah. in their not going until the air is cleared and I, I, I get to see the work being done. Because as much as things like Nine Worlds need people to touch, you need people to go. But, I mean, speaking selfishly, I couldn't afford to go this year. I actually like to think I, I contribute a lot of content ideas that all happened, even though I wasn't there. It was a bad year from the organization side of things. The things happened. There wasn't any talk of me being comped at all. Mm. When I said that I couldn't go for financial reasons, it wasn't even said, oh, we could comp your ticket if that would help. Mm. Nothing like that. So... And that's something that was done in the past. Yeah. And I know Um, people who do get their tickets for free because they volunteered or they get their room board for free. Like, I'm not trying to say, well, those people got a free ticket, so I should get a free ticket. It's just like, I know the amount of work they put in. Yeah. But I I feel like tickets have been comped in the past for contributors. And I feel like that's another sign where it's becoming too big for the budget they have. Yeah. Um, So... I don't know. I want Nine Worlds to to do better, to be better, to achieve what it wants to be. Mm. And I feel like there's lessons it could learn and I would like to see more things like FlameCon. Like, I'd love to see something like that here. I feel like I should try get to Thought Bubble, which I know is not the same sort of thing, but feels like a very cool space to be in the more and more I hear about it. so Yeah, I mean, that's very much a comics market. It's very much a place to buy and shop. Um, but they do panels and there's a, a little bit of cosplay, um, yeah. but it's always very nice and chill and just feels grown up. I don't know. I think I, there's something about nine worlds that it, it feels good. Mm. And then sometimes it feels a little bit, uh, dash con. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, but nine worlds also strives to be a family convention where people can bring like their children. Oh yeah. No, like I don't, that, I don't mean so. that you shouldn't have kids. I just feel sometimes the organization, and I don't know. Ah. We'll talk about it forever. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to answer a question that uh, in the no box 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 question part. Set, bleh, briefly, uh, we got this a number of episodes ago, but then we went off for a month. Um, and I have some answers. It's from Val. It says, "Hey Hamish, uh, and everyone with relevant knowledge, just, um, how, just Hamish, 
How do I get into kaiju films? Every time I hear you all enthusiastic about them, I am really envious, but I don't know where to begin. Should I just watch every Godzilla film in order? Should I avoid certain eras um, before I'm accustomed to the genre? Is there stuff I should read before to understand the aspects of the film and culture around them? Help yours, Val. The reason I am commenting on this now is because uh, two people did comment on the... um, uh, original post, and I disagree with them giantly. <laughs> um, no, it's just that, like... Oh, Hamish. I I never used to say this, but recently a friend of mine uh, got into the Godzilla films because of my enthusiasm, and decided to just watch all the Godzilla films in order. Oh. And I kept on saying, like, don't you don't do have that. to do that, don't that's do not that. the way. You shouldn't that do is, that, blah, that blah, blah. Not, this is not the true way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they really enjoyed it, and I actually think, in a way, each film kind of sets up the tone for the next one. Mm -hmm. If you watch them in any of- I sometimes talk about the Godzilla films as having so many different genres and tones smashed up into, essentially, a monster film. There's, like, space operas, and Cold War dramas, and island spy capers, and all kinds of stuff. Um... But if you do watch them in order, they do kind of lead into each other gradually. Um, So I would always start with Godzilla 1954, the very original one, um, because it's it's like a genuine masterpiece. It's like a very good film. I don't often say that about all the other Godzilla films as much as I love them. Mm -hmm. You can love a Um, film and admit it's not (laughs) the best of films. And I think kind of just going forward from there, I mean, you can skip whatever you can't find, but like, got, it, it really naturally flows into then, you know, starts with Godzilla as this sort of monstrous metaphor for the atomic bomb, moves more into Godzilla as like, reluctant hero, then as like, friend to all children everywhere. Um, and I just think it, it it's good that way. The, the suggestions in the things were for the Godzilla animes that are on Netflix, which I don't really think is Godzilla at its finest ever. Um, And Pacific Rim, which I do get, um, but it's... As much as I love it, it's also kind of... uh, a a subversive take on the genre. Sure. In some ways. Sure. And... I don't think that's a reason not to watch it. I just think it's a reason that if you do watch it, it's not necessarily representative of the genre. Yeah. Um, this does not represent me. But, um, but you should definitely watch Pacific Rim. Yes, you should. Um, and the other recommendation other than Godzilla 1954, I will say, is the 90s Gamera trilogy, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe onwards, are actually probably where the finest work in the genre has been. Sorry a, about that. You're such a nerd. Oh my <laughs> Look, God. I can't. I can't do an. I can't also do a Godzilla podcast. They're gonna have to just shove in my brief Godzilla podcast desires where I can in my other ones. You're fine. Try to find a Godzilla story related to ghosts for my pod- Poltercast one, and I just haven't found it yet. You'll get there. Um, I believe. So, if you have any more questions from. Uh, if you have any Godzilla-related questions, you can send them to me. But if you have any more episode uh, questions for 
<laughs> for Boxer Included. I, I'm stumbling over my words so much. We haven't done this in a very long time. Yeah, we're about, we've, we've had a month off like, for various reasons and it's showing. Uh, <laughs> please send queries to boxnonincluded at gmail.com or via social media. We're Included on Twitter, Tumblr, and we also have our Facebook group where most of our questions came from today. It's good. It's very good. Yes. <laughs> um, you also I, it's me again it is. <laughs> uh, can also contact us directly <laughs> I'm at Hamish Steele and I'm at Rose. and finally as always we'd like to thank Graham Waller Audio Overlord and Master of the Soundways for our theme music and helping produce the podcast he is going back to doing audio um, sort of freelance so please if you are um, in any kind of music venture and you mm-hmm. need like a mixing or a mastering engineer please head over to his website grahamwaller.com he would love to hear from you he does very good work check him out uh, but until next time I'm Jade Rose I'm Hamish Steele and don't let anyone box you in <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>